This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish in the Anglican Church of North America in Houston, Texas. Find us online at holytrinityrec.org. Find us on Facebook as Holy Trinity Houston, and on Twitter and Instagram as Holy Trinity REC. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself. Inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. This line in our lesson today in 2 Samuel from the wise woman of Tekoa to King David speaks of a very relevant issue to all of us as Christians. That issue is how to deal with a member of our family or a fellow member of the church that has fallen away into sin and then wants to come back in repentance and reconciliation. Our messy lives and how to deal with each other's messiness always comes into sharp contrast or conflict with the grace of God in Christ. We're most comfortable with placing qualifiers and human-centered stipulations to fellow sinners trying to repent and to receive forgiveness and reconciliation. Yet if we were to meet with the same objections we like to use upon others, we would be most distressed. All the while, the truth of our condition is that not one of us is without sin. Sure, we are adept at pretending that we have no sin, that we have no issues, but the more that we pretend, the harder it will be to repent, the harder it will be to forgive when the time comes. The gospel mandate calls us in receiving God's undeserved grace to also turn around and forgive those that have sinned against us. Today, let's reflect deeply upon our lesson in the 14th chapter of 2 Samuel and the gospel implications to our own lives in Jesus Christ with the gospel we read today in the parable of the prodigal son. Verses 1 through 17 of our lesson today speaks of Job, the general of Israel's army, sending a wise woman to speak, if you will, a parable to King David concerning the prolonged banishment of his son Absalom. As we read at the end of chapter 13 last week, Absalom had been in exile for three years. Job sought to bring peace to the house of David through this act. He employed the same means that the prophet Nathan earlier used to help David see what he was really doing in his sin. It helped him, in the end, to repent of his adultery and murder. Now Job hoped a parable from a wise woman of Israel would soften his heart toward his son. Remember, in the last chapter, Absalom lured his brother Amnon to a party to murder him out of revenge for what he had done in depravity to his sister. His unauthorized act in front of witnesses made him, if you will, a marked man in the nation of Israel. He was eligible to be killed in an authorized blood guilt killing for his murder of his brother. He was a marked man. David, as the father of the household, the king of Israel, 
was the one responsible here whether or not this would occur. According to the law, a person could track down someone that killed a member of his family to kill them out of blood guilt, an authorized killing. But if the person made their way to a city of refuge, they could be spared. Job sought peace instead of risking the chance of more bloodshed, more division in the house of David. As the meeting between the woman and David unfolds, it starts with the woman telling a story about her own life, a story that Job instructed her to tell. As we read, it's a similar story to what happened to the family of David, with two brothers, two of their sons fighting, and one killing the other. The woman sought David's intervention to save the life of her remaining son, and as we read, he agreed to protect him. From here, the woman challenged David on why he would not apply the same standard to his own family, to his own son. The end of verse 14 states, but God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. In the next section of our lesson in verses 18 through 24, we read about David's initial reply to this wise woman and the outcome of her pleading. David said in verse 19, is the hand of Job in all of this? The woman answered, yes. In verse 20, it speaks of the motivation behind the actions of David's general. In order to change the course of things, your servant Job did this. David, as we read, then decided to send Job to bring Absalom back to the land, back to the city of Jerusalem. Even though this was the case, we read in verse 24, the words of David, let him, speaking of his son, dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. David could only take an initial step with his estranged son. Even after three years, the murder of Abnon was still fresh. The step was both great and yet reserved. Time still needed to pass for the, these two to reconcile. Often when we encounter difficulties due to sin, we forget the time is needed for forgiveness and restoration of the relationship. Absalom killed the firstborn of David, the heir to the throne. Such was done out of revenge and hatred. He took matters into his own hands with his brother Amnon. And if we remember David's past in 1 Samuel, in dealing with his nemesis Saul, David was a man that was keen on never taking matters into his own hands. He always sought to do the work of the Lord. He always sought to let the Lord work in his time. The first step for David was indeed a big step for him, to let Absalom come back, but at a distance. We need to learn from our sins in order to truly grow in Jesus Christ and deeper love for others. Otherwise, we'll not grow in grace. We will not bear fruits of righteousness. The point of the epistle today in 1 Corinthians was to learn from the mistakes and the sins of Israel. This was the same history that David and his family knew well. Yes, Absalom was brought back, but he still needed to learn and grow 
before they could be reconciled. The reconciliation process, especially in the case of breaking a commandment of the Lord, takes time and patience for all parties. Verses 25 through 33 of our lesson today speaks of David and Absalom finally coming together in reconciliation. In the first two verses of this section, though, we read descriptions of the young man. These will prove pivotal in the later chapters. Verse 25 states that there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. The next verses then describe his hair, his family. This was a man now in his prime. He was the heir apparent. Verse 28 notes, So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. We read next how Absalom sought General Job to petition for him now to be admitted back into the presence of his father. After a time apart, and now a total of five years, going back to the, the murder of his brother, Absalom wanted to come back fully. He finally persuaded Job with these words in verse 32. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king, and if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. For Absalom, the time apart from his father was now becoming too much to bear. He wanted to be back in good graces with his father. He was to the point that it did not matter to him what he would face, even his own death. This was the point where the prodigal son came to in our gospel today, of being content with even being in the presence of his father, even as a mere servant. Verse 33 records the following. Then Job went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Looking at all the events of the last five years, it's not surprising to see David forgiving his son. David is seen here as forgiving what many of us would deem an unforgivable sin. Yet just a few chapters back, David himself was forgiven by God for the same sin. He now extends this grace and this mercy to his child. Many of us would lift the objection of the older son to the pro in the prodigal son parable to complain about this mercy to a man that after all would throw it all away in sin against his father. It was just not fair especially to the siblings that did not sin. Our default is to complain when grace is bestowed to others. We find ways to try to talk the forgiver out of forgiving. Knowing the rest of these accounts in 2 Samuel, as we will revisit in the next few chapters, we could easily say here, Absalom did not deserve David's mercy. Look at what he did in the next chapter, taking advantage of his father's forgiveness and restoration. For the older son in the gospel today was first to complain about fairness in light of the older son not sinning and behind it all 
was the objection that we all tend to ask about people restored after a grievous sin or a multitude of the same sin. Are you not worried that they will sin against you again? I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this one question raised in all sorts of situations. Yet, as we know, St. Peter asked the same question to our Lord in Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. The answer is always that God forgives over and above our own capabilities, our own desires to forgive others. He has pardoned us with a patience and a long-suffering toward us that cannot be calculated. It is not for us as God's people, just as it was for David, to fret about whether or not the person we are asked to forgive will make a mess again through hurting us in sin. Rather, the call is to emulate the vast love Christ bestows upon us with everyone in our lives. Yes, even the repeat offender. Yes, we're called and commanded to forgive the prodigal people in our lives. Yes, we're called to forgive even the Absaloms, the Sauls, and all others in between, just as David did consistently throughout his life, just as Christ does with all of us. It's tough and hard and never easy by any stretch. Yet this is part of applying the gospel we all so richly do not deserve to each other. Our call in forgiving such people is to be in constant prayer for them to walk with them in the newness of forgiveness so that they will go and sin no more. That is the hope and the prayer as we step out in faith to forgive. Our call in this restored life is to also place everything in the hands of Christ to care for, even our own hearts knowing all will be well with our souls in him, even if our forgiveness is answered with the betrayal of Absalom later displayed. We cannot control what others do. We can only be in control of ourselves as to whether or not we decide to obey God to forgive or to disobey God to not forgive. Lack of forgiveness reveals a person that has not submitted to King Jesus. A person that refuses to forgive is a person that worships self. Forgiveness is a gift of the Spirit, and it reveals a heart in submission to Christ alone. In the end, placing our lives in the hands of God through obedience is liberating. And it is often foolish, foolishness in the eyes of sinful men that tell us we need to protect ourselves, that tell us we cannot place our lives in the hands of God. Yet in calling us to forgive each other, that is what we do. We place our lives in the hands of God and not ourselves. Let us be renewed in the forgiveness given to all of us freely in Christ Jesus alone. In this renewal, let us ever be grateful through showing this gratitude and how we deal with fellow sinners that seek our forgiveness, whether a Saul, an Absalom, 
or a prodigal child. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen.